Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, today we're going to talk about some things that you can do, maybe when the weather's bad, maybe when it's too cold to actually ride some things that you can do to work on your horsemanship in the barn aisle, in the barn, somewhere that is warm and safe, but still helps you to uh, do some good and fun things with your horse. So tell us why you might want to do that. Well, any any interaction which you have with a horse has the potential to be a positive uh, interaction. I suppose the opposite is true as well. But um, a lot of us live in parts of the country where uh, we can't ride in the winter. We, the the uh, footing is not uh, safe, and we don't have indoor access to indoor riding rings. And so um, a lot of people that own horses in Colorado, they tend to sort of put their horses away in the fall, and, they, and then in the spring, you, the horse you get out is like half wild. He's been with the herd. He's He's not used to uh, interacting with people and following the rules and, and doing a daily routine. And um, So you spend a you know a few days or a week, whatever, depends on the horse, kind of getting that horse grooves back out and, and, and reestablishing your relationship with him. Um, so what a benefit to doing some maybe confined space activities with your horses during the winter would be to maintain that relationship, to maintain that uh, leader-follower relationship and to, to maintain some authority over the horse. And, and it's just fun. We love our horses, so um, it's a good reason to hang out with them and interact with them and keep them uh, engaged with you. And some of these ideas that you and I have kind of planned out to talk about here there are hand signals to back up, to move over, to come to me, square up the feet, put your foot on something. So it's a little bit of fun and, and kind of bordering on kind of some, some tricks too, but also some things that could actually help you just to move your horse over as you're grooming or talk to me about why you picked these and, and why these specific activities might help your horsemanship. Well, anybody that's ever taken a clinic from me, um, that uh, included groundwork, uh, which most of my clinics do. Um, you already know that I'm a real big proponent of hand signals with horses. Um, it's very, very easy to teach hand signals to horses. Um, that's evident if you've ever watched performing horses, horses in inter- entertainment and circuits or whatever. Um, they're working primarily off of hand signals. Um, and it has to do with the biology of the horse and its natural behavior. He, he, uh, horses communicate primarily with gestures, postures, uh, body language. Um, there's a little bit of audible communication, but most of it, uh, most of the horse-to-horse communication is in the form of gestures and postures. And so uh, horses are keenly observant. Um, they're, uh, they are also, they also detect patterns and, um, and they learn routines quite easily and that's how, uh, that's why teaching cues to horses is pretty hard. So, 
I mean, it's pretty easy. Sorry. Um, so I like to teach. Uh, I use hand signals in any ground work that I do, whether I have a huge uh, giant arena and I'm going to be working the horse at high speed or whether I'm working him close in. And you're absolutely right. On a daily basis when you handle horses, we've got to move them around and readjust them and position them and and uh, put their feet here and make sure uh, they stay there and uh, step over when we need to and and so um, it's fun. It's 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 a good way to interact and engage with the horse, and it's very purposeful and helpful for your horse to learn um, to respond to hand signals. Good. Now I know when you're giving a hand signal, there's the cue that you first give the horse, and then you talk about reinforcing that cue once you've given it. So can you talk? What's the difference there between a cue and a reinforcement? Well, it's really important that people do are able to distinguish between a cue and a reinforcement. And um, the you, you would think that would be a no-brainer. However, um, many people cue first with the reinforcement. And so, for example, um, let's say I'm riding a horse and my cue to go is... Um, that I sh- inhale, shift my center of gravity forward, and softly close my calves on the horse. Uh, that's the cue to go. And in that cue, I used maybe two or three different aids. And sometimes your aids are synonymous. Uh, for, for many people, the term aid and cue is synonymous. So I used my weight. I used my... Um, voice because I clocked. I used my leg contact. All of those were the cue. Um, If he did not respond or did not respond promptly, then I might nudge him or or some people might say kick him. That's the reinforcement of the cue, not the cue itself. And um, I would say the most commonly uh, way cue and reinforcement is misunderstood on a daily basis is, um, for most of us, is when we're riding and we go to cue the horse to stop, and the first thing you do is pull back on the reins. Well, the rein, pulling back on the reins is, is, not, is not the cue to stop. That's the reinforcement if the horse does not stop. So with any cue... Personally, I like to use at least two or three aids, and I want to sequence those aids um, in the same way every time I give the cue. So I do this, this, and this. And I have a reinforcement of that cue that I'm going to immediately follow through with if the horse doesn't respond. So, for instance, in that stop, my cue is first my voice. I say, whoa. Then I sit down hard on the horse and shift my, that causes a shift in my center of gravity. Um, that's the second aid. And then if that does not cause a stop from my horse, then I go to reinforcement, which are the reins. And so by sequencing those aids and only using the reinforcement as a bat, as a follow through, uh, the horse learns to respond to the initial cue, which was in that case, the voice. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then you also talk with that about 
making sure you release the pressure and praise the horse at some point. So you don't want to just keep cueing or reinforcing all the time and, and kind of get your horse mad at you or thinking you can't do anything right, right? Right. You have to understand uh, negative and positive reinforcement. And um, so let me give you an example of how people use um, use their tools inappropriately from the ground here. Um, if every time you want your horse to turn, you physically pull his nose somewhere with the rope, um, then you've used your reinforcement as the cue. And so he'll never learn another cue because you're physically forcing him to do it by, by manually pulling his nose. So your rope, your, your halter or your lead, your rope is the reinforcement tool, not the cueing tool. You want to cue that horse to move his nose by pointing with your finger. If I also wanted him to move his feet, I might point my finger at his nose and then cluck. And maybe I'll even stop my feet a couple of times. And all of those are the cue to step over there. If he does not immediately respond, then I would bump the rope or use the tail of my lead, uh, switch the tail of my lead. Then comes reinforcement. So if reinforcement comes last, uh, the horse learns whatever cue it is you're trying to teach him. Now, with positive and negative reinforcement, um, negative reinforcement means that you apply a stimulus, you wait for the horse to give the response, and then you remove the stimulus. And um, in positive reinforcement, you wait for the horse to give the response, and then you add something, you add a stimulus like praise or petting or um, some people might say a treat. I, I don't generally, well, not generally, I don't use treats in training. But um, to me, positive reinforcement is praise because I'm adding it after he has completed the task as a way to say, yes, that, that was a good job and I approve of you for doing that. And horses work very, very hard for praise. But what horses work most hard for in all situations, what they work most hard for is a total cessation of pressure, whether that is removing physical pressure or mental pressure or leaving them alone um, or letting them rest and not, and not have to work or think. Um, so horses work hardest for the release of pressure, and that's what negative reinforcement does. So... Um, so we use negative reinforcement primarily as our primary means of, of training horses. Um, and then, uh, but we always bring in the positive reinforcement, the praise, and, uh, and any reward that you might, like, for instance, let them rest. Oh, you did that so well, I'm going to let you rest now. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that comes in uh, as well, too. But it, it's important that um, for you kind of understand the difference and that you need to have both. So, so when it comes to teaching hand signals, it's really quite easy um, to just use a sequence in your cueing. So I would, uh, for instance, I would look, I would point, I would cluck, 
then I might touch, and then I would use reinforcements. And I would do all of that in about three or four seconds. And so as long as there's a sequence there and the reinforcement comes at the appropriate time, um, meaning it comes after you've made the cue, but fast enough for the horse to associate the reinforcement with the cue, then the horse learns very, very rapidly. Um, I I can generally have success teaching um, all of these hand signals we're going to talk about in in one session to a horse in just a matter of minutes. Wow. Well, this is a good long list. Well, let's let's talk and kind of go through what those steps are with each one of these. So. Um, the first one is the hand signal to back up. So what would you start with there as your cue and then your reinforcement? So first, just a couple of safety caveats uh, since we're talking about working in confined spaces. Um, there's some really important safety considerations there. One is that uh, the footing is... Um, not slick and or concrete um, or something that if the horse moves suddenly could cause him to slip. Um, secondly, that you're not in such a confined space that um, you or the horse are in danger of getting bumped up against the wall. Um, also, if you, when you're working in confined spaces and you're asking your horse to move, make sure he's got some place to move to. And keep in mind, he can't see um, necessarily all around him like you can. He can't make the same judgments that you can, that it's okay to walk. I know the aisleway behind me is free of obstacles, therefore it's okay to back up. Um, If he knows there's a wall there, he's going to be reluctant to move into it. And I see people doing silly stuff all the time with their horses. They wonder why their horses don't trust them. But then they're doing something like asking them to back up and there's a solid wall behind the horse. Or they're asking the horse to move his shoulder or move his hip, but there's a solid wall that's a few feet away. And the person thinks, well, I'm only asking you to move, uh, you know, 12 inches and that wall is at least three feet away. But first of all, the horse doesn't know what you're asking him. He just knows you're asking him to move towards a wall. He doesn't know you're only asking for 12 inches. And, uh, and, and he learns not to trust your judgment because how, you're asking him to do something that really kind of doesn't make sense to him. Um, look, lady, there's a wall there. I can't move into it. So, uh, so make sure as we talk about working in confined spaces that you are in an area that's safe and productive for training, first of all. Um, second of all, I would have my horse equipped in a rope halter and a 12 to 15 foot training lead. Um, that's what I do almost all of my groundwork in and um, I, I find it to be uh, the, the right length of rope uh, and the right training tool for the job. Um, so, and, and teaching the horse to back off a hand signal is, uh, is something I do in pretty much every clinic that I teach. And um, I tell people all the time, if you if you already if you're already using a cue, uh, particularly if it's already a hand signal cue that you're using, um, there's no need to, to change that to do it the way I'm doing it. Um, I do 
I have very specific and deliberate hand signals for all the different things that I would ask a horse to do. And um, But what's important is that I want to be able to ask my horse to back up without touching him. So pulling on the rope or pushing on your horse, to me, is not an acceptable cue. Um, and um, so... So keep so keep that in mind, and then you want the hand signal to be um, something that is exclusive to that one movement. So, in other words, if I've taught one cue for uh, turning and another cue for um, you know lowering the head, then I have to use a whole a, an entirely different cue to back up. So I can't I can't use the same cue I used for lowering the head because it can't mean back up. So your cue can't mean more than one thing. Um, so, and so then you have a cue for the backup. Okay. So, and, and then also remember, I want to, to give at least two or three aids followed by a reinforcement. And all of that has to be in a sequence, one, two, three, four, and that sequence has to have no more than a second, uh, half a second to a second between them. So um, the the way I cue a horse to back off a hand signal, and, and by the way, first let me say, when we're talking about hand signals, um, your entire body language is going to come into play in your hand signal. So, for instance, when I ask my horse to turn, I point and I look where I want the horse to go. And it is not just the movement of my hand and my index finger pointing, but it's my whole body turning and looking in that direction that tells the horse that's where I want him to go. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, 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 don't ever be afraid to bring your body language as much into the cue as possible. The more you use your body language, the more the horse will learn to focus on you because there's information there. So when I'm going to work on teaching the horse a hand signal to back up, what my finished hand signal is going to be is I'm going to I'll point towards his chest with my right index finger. I'm going, to, I'm going to be standing in front of him facing him. And I'm going to mm -hmm. point towards his chest, and then I'm going to wave my finger back and forth like I'm waggling my finger at him, like I'm saying, no, no, no. Um, I'm going to waggle my um, index finger right, left, right, left, right. Um, but in the beginning, he doesn't know that to be a cue. So, the, but I always give that first. So the so the the hand signal or the ultimate cue that you want your horse to respond to is the first part of the sequence. Um, then I'm going to add um, so. Uh, then I'm going to add some other aids. So I stand in front of my horse. I lift um, both my arms and shoulders up to kind of look big, and I'm going to cluck to the horse so he knows it's okay to move. So I waggle my fingers, cluck, 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 move my feet, stepping up and down, acting like I'm stepping towards him. And as soon as I see his chest begin to move, long before... I worry about his feet. I'm just focusing all my attention on the center of his chest. 
because as mm-hmm. soon as I see that chest pull back, I'm going to release all of the cue. Um, if I don't get a response at all, then I'm going to escalate the cue and bring in the reinforcement. So then I'm going to start uh, waving the rope, shaking the rope, um, even twirling the rope at the horse and, and increasing the pressure until I get some response. As soon as I get the response, all pressure stops. Good boy, good boy, good boy. And then we start the training a session over again. Waggle the finger, clock, stomp the feet, move towards the horse, start reinforcing with the rope. Um, and if you find the right level of reinforcement, meaning when I start waving that rope, swinging that rope or whatever, it's with enough pressure that causes the horse to respond uh, abruptly. Um, so if your reinforcement is comes with adequate timing, meaning within a second of the cue, and it is with adequate pressure, meaning the horse responds promptly, um, then the horse will learn very rapidly to respond to the initial cue, which was the waggle of the finger. Good. That makes sense. And that's really clear what you have to do to, to sequence that. And then you're hoping that at some point all you have to do is kind of wiggle your finger a little bit, right? You don't want to have to go through that. No. So that's the whole idea, and that's the reason why you don't wait, 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 wait forever until the horse responds. So you're going to, you know, from the initial waggle of the finger to the point where you're actually bringing in the reinforcement of the rope should only be um, a couple of seconds. So, in other words, I waggle my finger uh, for about a half a second, I cluck, I stomp my feet for another second, and then, boom, the reinforcement comes. And so within moments, if your timing is good and your pressure is adequate, within moments the horse should be stepping back at least one step off a waggle of the finger. Now, remember that the horse has to learn gradually and remember that he learns from a release of pressure. So the sooner the release of pressure comes, the faster he learns. So what us greedy humans tend to do is as soon as the horse starts stepping back, we go, oh, goody, he's doing it. Now keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And... um and then the horse stops because he never got a release, and then you did, and you lost your your training moment. And so, if if long before he moved, his actually took a step with the foot, I released the pressure because he sucked his chest back. Um, that right. horse learns very rapidly. So, if your horse is not learning fast, chances are it's because you're not giving a release soon enough. Okay, that makes sense, Julie. All right, so I think that gets everybody started on backing up. Is the same thing true for moving the shoulder and the hip, just figuring out a different hand cue? Exactly. And so I use my index finger, um, you know, whatever part of the horse's body I point at with my index finger, I expect him to move it. If for instance, if I'm grooming him and he turns his nose around to look at me, I don't, allow, I don't allow him to turn his nose towards me while I'm working on him. So I would point at his nose and maybe scold him a little bit with my voice. 
And I would expect him to move his nose back in front of me. If he didn't, I would immediately bring in reinforcement, which would be to poke him in the nose with that finger. So uh, my horses learn very rapidly that if I point at their nose, it means get your nose back where it belongs or move that nose away from me. So I'm going to use to to move uh, uh, the hip is much easier to move than the shoulder. Um, If you step back behind the the drive line or behind the girth of the horse and um, you ask him to move and then you point at his hip as you bring his nose towards you, the hip will move away from you. That's called disengagement of the hindquarters. One of the easiest things you can do with a horse is to move the hip away. But I always use a hand signal first. So I point at the hip. Then maybe I stomp my feet and cluck and and tip and and then finally tip the nose with the rope. Um, so in the same method that you did for backing, um, you're going to give the hand signal, cluck, move your feet, then bring in the reinforcement of the rope. Then repeat um, and release the pressure as soon as the horse begins to respond. Try also whether you're backing or moving the hip or moving the shoulder. Try to control the movement one step at a time. Don't get so reactive and quick with your horse that he's running away with you because, or, uh, you know, just running away rapidly from you because he's not learning a cue. He's just reacting to you. So you want cue, response, cue, response. So point, mm-hmm. he steps mm-hmm. the hip away one step. Point, steps the hip away one step. Point, step at the hip. Um, so in the same manner by giving the hand signal first, sequencing your other aids, and then reinforcing in a timely manner with appropriate pressure, you can move the hip and then just come forward and do the same thing with the shoulder. Now, moving the shoulder is much harder than moving the hip, and it will generally help you to have forward movement um, for both moving the both, both the hip and the shoulder. So as you um, as you're first starting, um, to teach the horse to move, to isolate these parts of his body, allow him to move forward a little bit. As he becomes accustomed to the cue, uh, you can disallow forward movement and start asking for more sideways movement from the shoulder or from the hip. And then, obviously, it's a pretty simple matter. Once you've taught the horse to step his hip away from you with a point of the finger and to step his shoulder away from you with a point of the finger, then you can move the horse sideways, side pass, sidestep him by uh, giving both cues, um, hip, shoulder, hip, shoulder, hip, shoulder. Good. That makes sense. And that's what kind of makes it fun. And, And then if you know how to do that from the ground, you can probably transfer that to when you're riding again, too, and, and give those same cues, but from the saddle, and the horse already knows what you're talking about. Well, um, body control is body control, and, and it definitely um, definitely relates to what you do under saddle as well. Good. Now, the next one you had on your list was hand signal for come to me, and that sounds fun. You know, I know my dogs were trained with kind of swinging your arm out in the air and back to to your shoulder, and that meant come. And so do you like to do the same thing with your horses? I do, and and it's just kind of fun. And, um, you know, and it goes along with this um, sort of closed spaces and, and 
kind of uh, slow and easy kind of groundwork stuff. But um, if you work on backing and, you know, your horse isn't going to become a perfect backer in one session, that's something that takes a while to, to learn because horses don't like to back up. They view it as unpleasant and hard. And whenever you're asking the horse to do something that's unpleasant and hard, it generally takes longer for the horse to learn it. Um, and so, but once you've taught him to back all the way to the end of your rope, so you, you can give him the cue to back by wagging your finger and clucking at him, and he'll keep stepping back um, three, four, five, six, seven steps. He's going to back all the way to the end of your, your rope, and then you ask him to stand. From there, you can do this fun little exercise to teach him a set hand signal to come to you. And so I'm now um, standing out in front of my horse, but I'm way out in front of him, maybe uh, 15 feet away from him at the end of my 15-foot lead rope, And um, but I'm facing him. To uh, remember that everything we teach our horses is about moving out of our space and respecting our mm-hmm. space. So this little exercise of teaching the horse to come into your space should be done with caution um, because you're asking a horse to come into your space. So uh, make sure that the horse is polite about it. And I I would only do this with a horse that I already had a really good and respectful relationship with. Um, So what I'm going to do to let the horse know that it's okay to come to me is I'm going to round my shoulders kind of open my shoulders to the side, deflect my shoulders and my eyesight away from him. I'll make myself look kind of small. And then my finished hand signal is going to be with both of my hands out in front of me. Um, I'm just going to say, just like, I'm going to use both my right and left fingers, like, come here, little kitty. So I'm going to be beckoning the horse to me with both mm-hmm. of my hands. and um, But he doesn't know that hand signal yet, and he certainly doesn't know it's okay to come towards me. So as I um, am rotating, um, waving him to come to me with both my hands, I'm going to go ahead and lay the rope in my hands, and I'm going to let my hands run through the rope, and I'm not pulling the rope. But by just having the rope in my hands as I um, sort of juggle that rope as I wave that horse towards me, you'll feel a little pressure from the rope. And then uh, my eyes are down and I'm looking away and I'm clucking at him to let him know it's okay to move his feet. And and I'm looking at him under the brim of my hat, but I'm not staring at him. And (laughs) as soon as he starts moving towards me, um, then I'll release the pressure. And when he gets up close, I'll reach up and scratch him on the forehead and tell him he's a good boy. And then I'll back him to the end of the lead rope again um, and bring him to me. So this is a signal that they'll learn pretty quickly because it benefits them. So it's easy for them to comply. And generally, uh, the horse you're doing this type of work with um, is a horse you already have an established relationship. He likes you. He likes to be with you. Um, and he particularly likes it when you scratch him on the on the forehead and tell him he's a good boy. Um, so it's a, it's a it's an easy way for him to get that praise. It's like, oh yeah, that's easy. I'll come to you and then I'll get that praise. Um, 
So, so that's fun. It's a fun little exercise and easy to teach. That's good. And it's one that kind of makes you feel warm and fuzzy because your horse is willing to come towards you. Yeah, he likes to. <laughs> good. Okay. Now, another one that could be helpful, especially if you do show or showmanship or something like that, is squaring up the feet. And so, if, especially if you've taught your horse to do that ahead of time, that's super helpful if you do need to to square up, even if it's just for mounting block or if it is showmanship or something. So what is your cue for that? Well, I like to, um, and, and this isn't going to be necessarily as straightforward as a hand signal, um, but I think it's a good, a great wintertime exercise to uh, get better control of your horse's feet. I think it's kind of fun to teach a horse to square up his feet on command, and, um, you know, we could write a whole book on that, so without getting too far into how that is done, um, when you ask the horse to stand, if he's not standing square, um, whichever foot needs to to move, let's say, let's say his... um, left front is is way out in front of his right fore. I want to I want to uh, uh with my hand on his on on the halter with a very soft foot, foot feel. Um I want a soft contact with my horse's head and then I'll point at that foot, I'll look at that foot and I'll point at it with my foot. I might even touch the coronary band so he knows my focus is on that foot. And then I'll put an ever slight so pressure back on the halter rope until he starts moving that foot. But as soon as he starts moving it, then I pull the rope forward, and then I push it back, and then I pull it forward. And so I keep working and moving that one foot until he places it where I want. And so... Um, I think that the fun exercise for people to work on, first of all, if you really want to learn the technique of teaching a horse to square up as he re- is required to do when you show him at halter, you should study that and, and um, you know, get some help with that because there's some real, uh, there's some important training technique involved there. But mm-hmm. when you're just playing around in your barn aisle and you want to, the, the goal would be to learn how to reposition your horse's feet by focusing on one foot at a time, making it clear to your horse that it is that one foot we are moving and no other foot, and I'm not going to stop cueing you until you put it exactly where I want. And so if we started out with that foot a little bit too far forward, I I need to identify that's the foot I want you to move. I'll put a little back pressure on the halter. As he move, As he starts moving that foot, I release the pressure. But if he steps back too far, I put a little forward pressure, and then he brings the foot forward, and then I move it back, and then I move it forward, and then I move it back until he places that foot squarely underneath him, which is where what I was asking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, the game to play with your horse, is working on one foot at a time and becoming clear on your communication that that's the foot you're asking about. And then that kind of leads into the next one. If you can control each foot, does that help you with placing a foot on a mat or a target? 
Um, yes, and and it's sort of a similar but different exercise. And so, obviously, we need to be able to pick our horse's feet up to clean them and, and handle them and treat them. And the horse should hold his or he doesn't have to hold his foot up. You're going to hold his foot up, but he should not be leaning on you or fidgeting or, or trying to get it away from you. He should allow you to hold his foot up until you put it down. And you should have your horse trained to let you put the foot down where you want it to be. In other words, it would be very poor horsemanship if I were teaching a young horse to have his feet handled. If I just if I just let him jerk the foot out of my hand and put it down wherever he wanted, right. I would be teaching him the wrong thing. Um, so I want um, him to allow me to place the foot down because sometimes I might want to actually place the foot on an object. And, and of course, the most obvious thing that comes to mind is if you've ever had to have your horse's feet x-rayed, you've got to put the foot on an x-ray film, mm-hmm. uh, put the foot in a bucket when you're um, when you're soaking an abscess. Um, you've got to put, put the foot up on the farrier's stand um, when your farrier's there. So anyway, there are all kinds of different reasons why okay. you might need to pl- place the foot somewhere. So a, a great wintertime exercise would be to, um, first of all, make sure that your horse doesn't sort of jerk the foot away from you when you uh, relinquish control of it and that he allows you to place it down. And then start uh, teaching him to let you place it on objects. So place it on this board. Uh, place it on this piece of foam. Place your foot in this bucket. Um, place your foot in this rubber tub. Step up onto this um, little platform. Um, stuff like that. And those are all things that are much nicer to have your horse know how to do before you really need it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I think that's good. And all of those things are things, like you said, you can do in a small amount of time. How how often would you work on this, or how much time would you put to each one when you're first starting out? Well, uh, you know, it, too much repetition gets obnoxious uh, to a horse. So I would, uh, you know, just do a few minutes on each one. Um, you might. I wouldn't necessarily do them all in one day, you know, spend, let's say you spend a week or two working on one or two of those things and then um, bring in another one and then you could get to the point where you might be asking a couple of different things every day that you you work with your horse, but you're not asking for everything every day. Um, But, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of that kind of work is probably plenty um, to accomplish a lot and not get uh, too too bored, you know, not not have your horse start getting, you know, to where he's feeling like you're just sort of nitpicking him. Right. You don't want him to be getting mad at you for trying to do something fun. Yeah. Good, good. Well, I think that's really helpful. And like you said, you know, that's something great that you can keep doing if you just get your horse in a a big stall or a wide barn aisle with maybe mats or something, like you said, so they're not slipping. But but to be able to do that a few times, even a week, if you're not able to ride or do anything else, that'll change what your spring is going to be like. You bet. Good. Well, thanks so much, Julie. Thank you.
I'm Heidi Malako. I'm here today with Desiree Johnson from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. And Desiree, today I would love to have you walk us through the different styles of your jeans and then tell us about the sizing. Because I know that you have quite a bit of range in making sure that all riders can find the right fit. So let's start with that first. What are the different styles of riding jeans and who are the riders that fit best into those different styles? What kind of rider would wear each style? We have three different styles of smooth strides. We have the real riding jean plane, which has absolutely no micro suede. So then the second style is the extended knee patch. And this is a pat, this micro suede that uh, starts at the top of the knee uh, on the inside and goes all the way down to the hem. And then we have the full seat which looks very much from the back like a full seat you see in the dressage britches. Sure. And then extends all the way down to the floor, to the hemline. And again, um, it's all washable and dryable. We have uh, three different lengths. We have 31 inches, 33 inches, and 36 inches. Okay. So let's go back to the real riding jean. Tell me who would love that jean the most. Who's going to be riding in that and find that the, the best style that you have? Well, that's a good question. There are a couple different reasons I would feel that a gal would want a jean with no micro suede. One reason would be uh, temperature. The less microsuede, the cooler the jean. So if you live in a hot area, I would definitely suggest the real riding jean plane. And, and another reason is some gals don't want, they really don't want it to look like a riding jean. Mm -hmm. um, I know that a lot of Western styles, they don't want their jean to look like an English jean. You know, an English right. they just want a blue jean. Just give me a blue jean and let me ride in it. And cost, they are the, the, the least expensive of all three. You also might choose that if you wanted to ride and then go into town and not feel like you look like you're wearing a riding jean, right? Exactly. Exactly, yes. But mm -hmm. it still has the features. It has no bulky seam on the inside. And, and what other features still would you consider making that a riding jean rather than a regular pair of jeans? There's no cross seam. So in the other two styles, you do have the patches that are in areas that are off the pressure points. They're very specially designed seams that won't interfere with riding at all. The special thing about the real riding jean planes it is literally absolutely and utterly clean on the inside. Okay. And then on the extended knee patch, what does that one look like? The extended knee patch, I feel, would be wonderful for gals who want to not put on half chaps. For instance, I'm an English rider. I put my paddock boots on, and I don't have to ch put boots on and off at all. I don't have to put a half chap on, take it off. All I do is get on my horse, get off, and I'm absolutely fine. It's a reinforce. It's a it's a bit of reinforcement for the calf bicep that protects against the stirrup leathers and just gives you a little bit more stickiness there on your lower leg. Mm -hmm. um, it is, has a little bit more of a, a style flavor of, of equestrianism. You know, it, it, you can see it and it's kind of flashy, but it's not as big as the full seat. Tell us about the full seat. Who wants to ride in that the most? The full seat, I discovered, covers two big, huge areas. Number one, some girls want a dress jean. They want a show jean. They want it to look like a riding jean. Sure. It's fancy. It's beautiful. It's sexy. You can go out, wear them out at, for, as an evening pants. They're just a real beautiful riding jean. And the second aspect is they, the, the nap in the tack for very active riders, barrel racing, um, raining, you know, girls' western dressage, 
the nap really does help. Um, now, the, nothing can replace, you know, the leg strength for staying on a horse, of course, but the, uh, you know, dressage breeches have that little bit of leather. After testing them myself, the little bit of nap really does help in the tack. Good. And they're warmer <laughs> for cold areas. They're That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, and definitely different seasons of the year you want that extra, extra help and, and extra help to just keep you in the saddle, feel secure. Right. Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out smoothstride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also, be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash podcasts for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn. 